Hello, and welcome to the Scott Douglas Media Channel. We stream live here every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for the talk show Conversations with Scott Douglas, a long-form interview program featuring big-name guests from the world of Monster Jam, motorsports, live entertainment, and more. On each conversation, you will hear directly from the superstars and key behind-the-scenes players telling their unique stories and offering tips and insights into their specific industry. You can watch each show for free when the conversation streams live or watch a show anytime at your convenience by subscribing to the Scott Douglas Media Channel here on Twitch. It's easy to do. Just click on the About button on this page and scroll down to get your subscription started. Subscriptions are as low as $4.99 per month, and Amazon Prime members can use their complimentary subscription to any Twitch channel that they receive each month as one of their Amazon Prime benefits to use that to subscribe and enjoy all of the entertaining and informative conversations that we have right here, live, three times each week. And be sure to check out the website, scottdouglasmedia.com, for the lineup of scheduled guests that are coming up on Conversations, and for details on the production services that I can provide. Thanks for visiting the Scott Douglas Media Channel and tune in every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time when Conversations with Scott Douglas comes your way live. Who's ready for Monster Jam? Good evening. It's great to see everybody or, you know, great to know that you're out there. And certainly thanks for joining the Scott Douglas Media Channel here on Twitch once again as uh, another conversation with Scott Douglas. This is going to be a good one tonight. Hopefully you like them all. But I think I've uh, got a lot of history, a lot of great stories. And uh, somebody really, if you're a fan of Monster Trucks, you know the name. And you probably know a part, a parts of different parts of the story. We're going to see how much of it we can tie together and getting it uh, directly from him tonight. Um so it's really exciting to have tonight's guest on. Many of you will know him more for his days um, when he's at the top of the game as a driver behind the wheel of uh, the very unique and very successful Monster Patrol. A lot of others know him even better as uh, one of the really first multi-team owners with a fleet of trucks and, and someone who had acquired over the years many of the most famous names of trucks that he owned uh, for several years. And then, of course, even more will know him and, and probably think of him even more specially because there are so many people and some of them probably tuning in tonight who could thank tonight's guest for even being in the monster truck industry. He got so many people involved and gave him their first opportunity, and uh, we're thrilled to have him on tonight. So let's bring in tonight's guest and welcome Paul Schaefer. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It, it's fantastic. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. And I guess... Um, best to start in the present here because um, your name has uh, been all over social media lately for those who follow Monster Trucks um, with everything that uh, you amassed over the years. Um, and, and the word on the street for years was that you were willing to sell it, but it sounds like somebody finally uh, came up with a number you were okay with and, and you sold everything. So uh, now we can talk to you. It's not only a retired driver, but a retired Monster Truck owner. And uh, congratulations on on hopefully what was a su successful transaction for you. Yep, thank you. T tell me a little about um, the decision when you have something like that. It's got to, you know, you, you, we know that you're uh, uh, always have been a businessman. And, you know, in, in a case like this, you had a lot of inventory. There were people interested. Did it just take, you know, a, a while for the right offer to come along? It took a while. Nobody had enough money. To, to buy me, you know, 
Everybody wanted to buy one truck and make payments and nice and that. I, I, I want to sell them all at one time. And James came along and bought them all. Yeah, and so, uh, so, so the idea then is that finally that happened. And, and because, again, you had kind of, you know, not been nothing as involved. We hadn't seen you around for a little while. Um, I'm told, though, that if you go anywhere around, I guess, what, northern, northwestern Indiana, there's Paul's Auto Yards everywhere. So it sounds like life's going pretty well. Yeah, life is doing good. I'm, I'm doing all right. It's interesting to me. I was in Tampa um, last week, and, and uh, in his typical fashion, I'm walking into the hotel after the Sunday event, and all of a sudden, you just hear this horn, beep, 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 beep. I said, I better stop, turn around, and Tom Metz is pulling up, just wanting to talk, and we hadn't got a chance to chat much during the, the weekend, and your name came up, and, and he said, after all these years, he's actually working with you, finding, finding cars for you. Is that right? He's buying junk cars, you know. He's got a little house down there and a little property, and and uh, he's buying junk cars. He's got about 200 cars, I heard now. Wow. And uh, he's going to make money on them, you know. He cuts the cats off and the aluminum wheels and radiators, and he brings to me, and he sells it. And we're going to go down maybe this summer and crush about two, 300 cars. You know, I'm going <laughs> to make a junk man before it's all done, you know. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, just because he's – just because he's still flying around all these stadiums doesn't mean he didn't ever got to have more than one egg in the basket, as they like to say. Um, yeah, Paul, you, you, you've had, uh, you know, such an interesting career. And, you know, um, and we're going to talk about some monster truck days and some things like that. But one of the things I really love doing on, on this program is so many of the guests like you that were able to get on the show, people know or know some things about. And I like to try and tie the whole thing together. So if you didn't indulge us a little bit, um, tell us a little bit about Paul Schaefer as a kid. Where did you grow up? What, what things were you interested in when you were growing up that kind of led you on this path? Well, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, a little town named Black Oak. And, uh, and I went to school there, and I got out of school, and I went to work in the steel mills, and I worked for a guy uh, in the junk business. And I got married. Then I got divorced, and then I, I bought a junkyard. I started crushing cars and kept on and on and on. And uh, I finally quit the steel mills and, and uh, rented a yard, my first yard, and then I bought a yard. And then I bought a second yard and then a third yard. And then I got into racing. I went to a racetrack, and we all got drunk up there watching the races. And the guy said, well, I got an old car. If you buy the tires, I'll let you drive it. So I put a set of tires on it, and I started driving then I bought one, and, that, and then it kept on and on and on, you know. What, uh, was that uh, dirt track or, or uh, asphalt? Well, that was a dirt track, you know. I run dirt track for about oh, 10, 12 years, 15 years, you know. And I ran all over the country. I ran in Australia. I won a big race over there. And, wow. Uh, I won a race down south, uh, the southern national down there and i was a track champion uh kankakee i was track champion brownstown and and rensselaer speedway and i won a bunch of races all over you know wow you know brownstown's uh, pretty close to my neck of the woods every now and then uh, matter of fact uh, one of the last times i was at brownstown for an event was for a lucas oil late model series event and uh the event's over and we were televising it and uh all of a sudden, we're sitting down. You know, all those picnic tables all sit around on the outside there. And, yeah. you know, we're sitting around and, and uh, you know, 
having a little discussion and, and the, whatever beverage or two might have been on the tap for that night. And uh, sure enough, here comes Forrest Lucas just plops down there and, you know, it you know, feels like one of the richest guys in the world. And he's just sitting there talking about, you know, promotions and ideas. You know, there's, there's just so many cool stories at those racetracks. And there's a, a neat group of people that are involved in dirt track racing, you know? Yeah, when I started, Brownstown was nothing but the best. If you could win down there, you could win anywhere. I went down there and never made the show. I went down there about 10 weeks and loaded my stuff up and come home. I kept going back. Drove three hours every Saturday trying to make the show. And finally, I made the show. And then I started winning. Are you driving a late model? What kind of car did you have? I had a late I started out in a late model. You know, oh, so had, you, didn't, you didn't work your way up like through what we call bombers or street no, stocks? No, I wow. started, started out in a 66 Dodge Charger. Nice. Had a 426 Hemi in it. It was a Richard Petty Hemi index car, and it was an asphalt car, and they put dirt tires on it, and it weighed 6,000 pounds. And my late model, towards uh, my end of it, my late model weighed 1,750 pounds. That car weighed 6,000 pounds. Wow. Hey, um, so you're doing a little touring around. Did, uh, did you ever have to uh, bump fenders with any any uh, big names that the viewers might know? Oh, I raced with uh, Rodney Combs and uh, Bloomquist. Bloomquist came down to uh, Brownstown, and everybody told me this young kid was really, really good, you know. And he come down there and never made the show. He come down there two or three times, didn't make the show. So one time he come down there and and he kicked butt. I mean, he just kicked, you know, he kicked us. He come down again, won. He won a couple big races down there. And uh, after the race, he was over there selling his T-shirts, you know. And I, I looked on the board there, and the T-shirts was $25 a T-shirt. I sell them for 12 bucks. I said, ain't nobody going to buy T-shirts for $25. And I looked over there, and I go, what's all them people doing over there? Oh, they're buying T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't you know, and, and and now, um, you know, and I apologize. I don't know what the number is, but somebody was just putting up the the number of of, of races that the Bloomquist has won. Um, can you believe how long his career lasted? And and, the, oh, yeah. and and he's never not been at the top level, has he? No, no. He, he you know, when he came to Brownstown, Brownstown was the was the best of the best. You had to really run good there. And, he come down and kept coming down, and he's like me. I went down there, and I wanted to outrun, I wanted to outrun uh, uh, Russ Petro and Ray Gotzi and all of them, John Gill and all of them. I kept going back and kept going back, and I started. And I won the championship down there, and I won a lot of races down there. The uh, the folks who, who who love circle track racing, it's, it's interesting to me, and because because my career before and really concurrent a lot of times with what I did with the, the monster truck industry and eventually with monster jam was in running racetracks, even more than announcing them, uh, managing, promoting. And, but I was always on the asphalt end and it, it was always interesting to me. There were so many talented drivers on each side, but you get a, you get a dirt guy about an asphalt guy. It's like, ah, and then as I talk about a dirt guy, they used to wear t-shirts that, uh, Dirt was for planting taters, and asphalt was for racing. You ever see one of those? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure dirt guys had a different type of T-shirt. <laughs> Is there a reason that, that you gravitated toward toward dirt? I know there's more dirt tracks out there. Well, I started out in dirt, and I kept going and going and going. And then uh, I met a guy named Tom Martin. 
you know, he'd come by my shop, you know, because I had race cars in there. And he he kept trying to buy parts for me and this and that. And he'd go, man, you need to drive my mud car. And I said, well, I don't have time to drive a mud car. And uh, I drove it one time. And he goes, why don't, why don't you just buy this car and I'll build another car? So he built a brand new one and I bought his old one. And I said, well, I, I ain't got time in the summertime, but I, I got time in the wintertime. So I bought a big 48-foot trailer, and, and, and we put two cars. Tom would uh, drive the truck and the hauler to the racetrack, uh, to the stadium, and I'd fly in and drive the mud patrol. That's so, how I started there. Yeah, and what, what was Again, it slipped on my mind. I know what it is, but uh, Tom was driving. You were in mud patrol. Yeah, Tom owned mud patrol originally, you know. Okay. And yeah. then I bought it, and then he bought Super Trooper. Okay, he, he built a brand-new car, you know. And that's where I would have first seen you guys. That was with, uh, when, when I started doing, after TNT folded, started doing U.S. Hot Rod. And that was my first experience with mud racing. It was like, wow, because those things were like like rocket uh, rocket ships in a gymnasium. Because you're in sometimes these little arena floors, and that mud pit might only be, what, 50, 60 feet? Yet yeah, you guys had all these horsepower and light vehicles. Yeah. It took me a while to figure that out, you know. And in 91, I, I won the uh, Rookie of the Year. Then 92, I won the championship in 93. And then that's when I met Tom Mintz. And in uh, 92, I bought uh, Taurus. And I made that a Monster Patrol. You know, and then uh, me and Tom and my other guy, we built another one. We built a, a new one, and Tom drove the old one. Now, when, when you first bought Taurus and, and turned it into Monster Patrol, a couple of things come to mind. Um, so that's when you got hooked up with Tom. But when you got hooked up with Tom, Tom drove Mud Patrol for you, right? He took the mud truck when you got into monster trucks. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, we had we had we had Mud Patrol and then we had Super Trooper. We, not Super Trooper. We had uh, uh, Shake Me, and Tom would take them both, and, and he'd drive them both most of the time, or I'd drive one, and he'd drive one. And then uh, then we got him into the monster trucks. Let me tell you a story about Tom. You know, uh, we go up to. New Jersey up there, and I told him, I said, hey, it's two sets of cars. I want you to go over the first set, get out of the throttle, let it settle down, and then hammer it over the second set, then get out of it. Okay, okay, no problem. They threw the, they threw the flag, and he held it straight down to the floor. He's about 20 feet in the air, and it come down, bounced. The, I thought the motor was going to blow up. He never lifted. It took off like a rocket went over the second set of cars and come down. I said, man, the throttle stuck. And he's still going. And they had a mud pit down there. He went through the mud pit and come out and come around. The people went crazy, you know. <laughs> oh, you got a lift. He goes, well, I never knew I, I, never knew I left the ground, you know. <laughs> Sounds like Tom and been doing it ever since. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, um, boy, boy, those are some great stories there. Before we go to our first break, um, uh, you know, we kind of run through and we'll go back and forth as, as we yeah. talk here. But um, one thing I, I wanted to, to get you to explain that is that and everybody knows the Monster Patrol. So, so again, you, that was a tourist truck. So yeah. but you create you already had now the Mud Patrol concept. But when you right. turn into the Monster Patrol, you come up with what looks like a sprint car wing. Right. Where, where yeah. did that come from? Well, how, how did you decide to do that? Not at first, okay? The you know, Taurus had the motor in the front. So I, I named it Monster Patrol because of the Mud Patrol and painted it black and green. So I went out and did a, a, a vent somewhere, and it nosed straight down to the ground, you know? 
uh, I went over the cars and it, it went straight to the ground, the nose of it. So I said, well, I'll put a, I put weight in the back. That didn't help. So I had a guy out of uh, Iowa build me a big sprint car wing, and I put it on the back. And uh, it put 490 pounds of pressure down on the back of that truck. You know, it did work, you know. But, you know, we wasn't going fast enough, but it did work. You know, it looked neat till you rolled it over. Yeah, it, it, it looked cool. And, you know, and then uh, you guys would get, get up and climb up on it. And, uh, and of course, yeah. a lot of people, the first thing they knew about Tom Mentz was because they, they, they saw him walk on the wing and slide off the front of the truck. And, you know, fans at that time didn't know there was such a thing as an RII and it would magically yeah. stop in front of him. That was crazy, you know. And he was up in Milwaukee, and he did that. And I go, "Are you crazy?" And then I said, "Man, you, you make me look bad. I'm gonna have to get up on that wing." And I got up on the wing, you know. And I'd walk across the roof, and I was indoor one day, and I walked across the roof and jumped off the hood, you know. And I'm pretty old at that time, and I sunk down in the mud and I fell down. The truck hit me in the back, and I got up and ran, you know. And then it shut <laughs> off. <you know? laughs> I gotta, I gotta get better than that, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's one that I would think that uh, I'd, I'd want to make sure I had the plan ready before I actually jumped into it. There, oh, some great stuff. Hey, um, before we go to break, because when we come out of it, I, I want to talk about, uh, and, and we're gonna get back to monster trucks, uh, monster patrol, and I know we got some fun stories there. But one of the things I really wanted to highlight because so many people got their start in the monster truck industry or the monster jam brand or different other properties because you gave them the opportunity. Now you were acquiring trucks and needing more people, but so many people credit you for starting their, their monster truck careers. Is, is it just happened that way? Was it something that you took pride in and, and, and given a, uh, somebody who had a lifelong dream a chance? Well, back in the 92, 94, 95 and on, uh, everybody wanted to drive a monster truck, you know, and everybody liked them. You know, we, we'd go to a stadium and be, you know, 50,000 people in some of the big stadiums and everybody liked them. Everybody wanted to drive them, you know, and they wanted to work on them, you know. We had all kind of people come to me, you know, and, and, and at that time I kept growing and growing and I worked for U.S. Motorsports and he wanted 10 trucks and uh, Clear Channel wanted 10 trucks and all this and, you know, I kept counting the money, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make these guys pay." You know, I go, "They're making too much money," and uh, I told them, "I said, hey, they, they started out paying me fifteen hundred dollars." I said, "Hey, I want to win," you know, and they said, "Well, we'll pay you seventeen fifty if you make it to the semifinals. We'll pay you two thousand if you make it if you win." Well, I went up to Connecticut and Stanford up there, and I won the first three shows. The fourth show, they come to me and say, well, we can't afford to pay you, you know. <laughs> you know this ain't right, you know. But, you know, you know, I was the first one. When when I took that tourist and made it Monster Patrol and I took it to Lima, they all laughed at me because I'm a, I'm a dirt guy. And, and weight meant a lot to me, unsprung weight. I took the tires and I shaved them down to nothing. I mean, it took me 40 hours to tire, and everybody looked at me and said, man, can't you afford good tires? Nah, nah, Bigfoot kind of laughed at me, you know? And uh, I beat Wild, uh, was it Wildfoot? I beat him. They kept looking at them tires. I went to Indy down there, and uh, I set fast time. It was raining out, and everybody's, man, you ain't going nowhere. And, and, and I set fast time down there. The following week when we went, Bob Chandler shaved his tires. He started <laughs> tires. 
Great story. Paul Schaefer got Bob Chandler to shave tires finally. Yeah, <laughs> Love tires. that. Love that. Hey, uh, Paul, got to get a commercial break in. Uh, but I just wanted to set it up that way because when we come back, um, Mike Harper was on the show last night. And um, hopefully Josh was able to, to grab the clip. But I want you to be able to hear just the heart. And I'm sure Mike's thanked you enough before, but how he publicly um, you know, credits you, as a lot of people do, for getting them started. And I want to talk a little more about that. So let's go to the commercial break. And I want to say thanks to uh, some folks who make it impossible for us to be here. I want to start with PNC Bank. And again, PNC Bank, um, a great sponsor of this show, but also a great corporate and community citizen everywhere that you find PNC Bank locations. If uh, you see the link that's on our page here, all you got to do is click on it. It takes you to PNC.com. And, you know, in today's world, pretty much anything uh, financial, you could do it online. You don't even have to go to the branch, although you can, you can do that as well. But again, PNC Bank has uh, become a great sponsor of, of conversations. We appreciate them. Also want to say a big thanks to Lucas Oil. And again, Lucas Oil is, uh, everybody knows, uh, a great sponsor of so many motorsports, so many grassroots motorsports. And uh, we thank them as well. So we're going to take our first commercial break, and we'll come right uh, back. I can't wait after to get this Paul Schaefer on Paul the show. Paper. You help me uh, get hooked up with Paul because, you know, sometimes trying to find, you know, folks I'd like to have on the show, I just can't go to a Rolodex and find them. Rolodex is a word we don't use anymore. But whatever. I just don't look through my phone. You hooked that up for me. But I wanted to just let you just have a, a minute or two before we, we wrap up. I didn't realize how important Paul Schaefer was in your career. Absolutely. Paul Schaefer's the guy that put me on the road and he got me my start in this industry. Um, I hung around the U.S. Hot Rod guys through Pace Motorsports and SFX and I went to the Graybigger shop and trained with Dennis and Lyle Hancock. And then Paul Schaefer had a seat open in the, one of the most famous monster trucks ever, Carolina Crusher. And it was Gary Porter's old truck and I lived in the Carolinas at the time and I had the opportunity to run that truck for five years through Paul. And I learned pretty much everything about this business and this industry from Paul Schaefer. I'm forever grateful to him. He is still a friend of mine. I still help his son, Paulie, son with his racing. I got Paulie started in racing, actually, in his stock car racing when he was a kid. But um, Paul's probably ready to kill me for that because there's no <laughs> telling how much he's spent on Paulie's racing. But yeah, yeah, that, that's a that, that's a that's a deep black hole of money that is not coming back. <laughs> there is not enough time in a two hour podcast to go through the list of people that Paul Schaefer has helped and got started in this industry. Paul Schaefer, by far, will give you the shirt off of his back and will do anything for you, anything at all. I mean, you could call Paul at 11 o'clock at night and go, Paul, I'm on the road. My semi broke down. He would send a driver from Paul's auto yard to hook to your trailer and get you to your show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Paul is just one of the true, the true people that kind of changed our industry at the time. Yeah. And, yeah. No, nobody was buying trucks like that and buying names. He was, he was so far ahead of his time. And, and again, so, yeah, hopefully you'll get a chance to tune in tomorrow night or if not, catch you, catch you when you have time because that's going to be a lot of fun. And I appreciate you hooking it up. Absolutely. Paul's going to be a great. A lot of people don't understand Paul because he's really quiet. He's not on social media. But if you tune in tomorrow night to Scott's podcast, you'll see the real Paul Schaefer. Shit home, you know. I got a one-bed. They all slept on my couch. 
It was crazy. We had a good time. Um, I'm wondering about, you know, when we talk about uh, influences, um, you know, and I, I just looked over there and, and, and saw that B.J. Johnson was in here talking about what a great boss you are. I had no idea B.J. worked for you. There are literally do dozens of people that we know in the industry started at Paul Schaefer Motorsports, right? A whole lot of them did, you know. Uh, just on and on. Uh, Doyle Smith. I mean, there's there's many of them, you know, that worked for me. Yeah, and, and I know that uh, a, a lot of people, okay, I was just, I, I had to put my, my glasses on, and, and Josh has got it, but uh, apparently had a little audio issue there, but it uh, looks like it's been fixed, because that's the thing about doing live streaming, Paul. I look over, because I can yeah. see the chat room there, and instantly when they start saying, can't hear you, can't hear you, I knew something was going on, so... Uh, that's why Josh Lee pushes the buttons and I don't, because they would never hear anything if it was up to me. Um, you know, when you look at that, though, um, you know, and I know you have other things to do sometimes, but but do you ever get a chance and to just take some pride when you see, and, and obviously the, the list starts with Tom Mance with everything he's accomplished, but so many of these other names and people that 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 fans have been thrilled by and, and others who maybe never got in a monster truck, but that you put to work and, and got them in the industry and who are still around today, uh, do you ever take pride in their success? Because you, you, you know, you, you got a lot of credit for getting them started. Well, there was a whole lot of them that we started. You know, and we taught them how to drive a little bit, and and they worked hard. I mean, they wanted to do it. You know, you know, I I, I think it's a little different now. I, them guys, them guys, it's about the money. All like Michael and and all of them. You know, uh, Rodney Tweedy and Tom Mintz. We didn't pay them no money. They, we didn't pay them a lot. They just wanted to drive. They wanted to work. And we worked 12, 14 hours a day. We drove from, from Chicago to California to, to Alaska. You know, I had Larry Swim and BJ and all them guys. They drove to Alaska. And they, we went all over. We went, all, we went to Hawaii. We went, we went everywhere. I went over to Australia and drove over there. And we had a lot of fun. It, isn't there... Uh, a monster patrol that's actually in Australia. Some that did you sell that to someone or, or? I, I sold ten trucks over to Australia. To oh wow! You know, I sold a bunch of trucks. You know, so. Yeah, and because I, you know, I remember when I when I got to go over to, to Australia with Monster Jam, um, I was surprised um, by the number of, of other events that were already being done there that people would talk to me about, and it looked like. Not many trucks were being built there. A lot of the, they were buying trucks from an owner like you to, and to get them over there. I went over there and drove at a racetrack over there, Monster Patrol. They had uh, they had everybody over there, all of them. And I had to drive the Monster Patrol, and it was the Boogie Vans truck. It had a short wheelbase, and and it wasn't a real good truck. But they had a racetrack over there, and they had cars down the straightaway. You had to go through the corners. Well, this boogie van had a short wheelbase, and I whooped him over there, you know. Greg was over there, and, and uh, uh, Samson was over there. All them guys is over there, and I just put it on with that old truck, you know. That was kind of neat to win that race over there, you know, win some of the races, you know. Yeah, it sounds like it. sounds like it. And, you know, I when we went over there, I was just amazed by the fervor of the Australian fans. And I, th I think part of it was, you know, and, and that was just as they were starting to get some TV and probably just when you went over there and just started to, to really get a feel for it. And they were just, you know, 
and, and there's a, there's a lot of love for for um, different American things when they go over to Australia. But boy, they seem to the fans just went crazy for the monster trucks. Well, they they treated me like I was a star over there. It was it was crazy. I mean, they they it was hard. They didn't meet a whole lot of American people, and I mean, they just they just took care of me, you know, and everything, you know. Every place I went was a million people. It seemed like. Yeah, and um, when you think about it, when you, when you get on one of those flights, you, you realize why a lot of folks don't go over there. To, one, for, first, when you see what it costs, yeah. <laughs> and secondly, um, it, 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 it readjusts your senses uh, 15, 14, 15 hours in the air. Uh, yeah. But I know, I remember, who was it? Craig Christensen for a while got to where he was doing deals over there, but he was like going back and forth, and it was constantly, and I, I don't know how somebody could just keep taking those flights. Do you? Yeah, the money must have been good, you know. He was working for the same guy I was drove for over there. We got it bought a bunch of trucks, you know. Just super the, nice over there. To, yeah, super nice, you know. The uh, some of the the guys that that, that you worked with, um, and, and and like Mike Harper said very well last night. That's that's how I remember you when I was interacting with you in the Monster Patrol days when you were driving and you know we were we were doing our live events, our TV stuff. Was that? Um, you know, you were you were really kind of unassuming, and uh, you know, you weren't one of these guys who jumped out there and talked a bunch of smack. You know, I'd ask you a question, you'd answer it. But when you got out there, you were a tough guy to beat on the track. And but but that was kind of the persona you had. But some of the people you brought into the industry, they were like your polar opposite. Now we'll get to Tom in a minute, but B.J. Johnson is is, is intriguing to me. Because now there's there's a guy with a wild man streak too. He said at one point you started calling him. He put this in the chat room. You started calling him Schaefer's stunt team because of the way they were running your equipment. Larry Swim and BJ they was crashing every night. Every night they crashed. You know. But let me tell you the story about BJ. I hired him out of California, so I had to go to the airport and pick him up. Now, I never met the guy. Never seen the guy. And he said, "You'll know me when I get off the." down there to pick up my luggage. I go, okay. So I'm standing there. Some crazy guy come out with a green mohawk, earrings. And I said, you got to be kidding. And this is BJ. And I took him home with me and I said, you got to be kidding. He goes, well, I broke about every bone in my body, you know, driving motors across and this and that. And I go, wow, okay. But Larry Swim and BJ, we went to Terrell, Indiana. We did a big show down there. And BJ went down there and flipped the truck over. They called the ambulance. Ambulance went down there, and they had him in the back of the ambulance, and he had a girlfriend there. And I jumped up in the ambulance, like, get out, BJ. Oh, I broke my arm. I broke my arm. I said, get out. I go, you drove motocross. You broke every body, every bone in your body. I said, get out. You ain't going to the, you ain't going to the hospital. <laughs> get out. And his girlfriend took him to the hospital. So he come back, and he got a big cast on his arm. And he said, well, they put it in the cast. They think I broke it. And uh, I'm going to have to go to my uh, specialist and get it looked at and all that. And I said, oh, no problem, BJ. I said, Larry, swim. We got the body fixed in your truck. And Larry's going to drive your truck. Oh, no, no, no. Larry ain't driving my truck. He took a saw and cut the cast off and drove the next night. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the BJ we all know and love. Well, <laughs> Can you believe he's a big family man now? I know. I heard that. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you uh, definitely got a, a lovely, uh, lovely wife, and they're they're a great couple and a great family. Hey, uh, but then you know you mentioned Larry Swim. There's there's another guy who has gone on to, you know, make a great name for himself, or you know, in a lot of different trucks actually. 
Larry was a good guy. I mean, he could work on the truck. He could do anything, you know. He did 90% of the work on the trucks. And he didn't tear up a whole lot until I teamed him up with him and BJ. Man, them two guys. But everybody loved them, you know. They they made Barefoot and and, and, and Monster Patrol. They, they really made it because they kept rolling them over, crashing them every night. Danny Torgerson said, I want those two guys. I said, well, you got to pay me more money because they tear up too much stuff. You know, they did. They, they rolled them over. And even Tom, you know, Tom says, well, you know, you know, he goes, I, I'm going to beat Grave I said, well, if you can't, well, he told me, he goes, if I don't beat him, I'm going to run and I'm going to crash him. You know, he did, man. He rolled them over every night. And Bill Easterly called me up one night, said, Paul, you got to do something with your truck. I go, what's wrong with Monster Patrol? He goes, it looks like heck. He goes, you need to put a wing back on it. It's got a brand new wing on it. I called Tom. I'm, what happened to the wing? Oh, I rolled that over the first night, you know. <laughs> he had duct tape on it, though. They, they made me put a new body on it and a wing on it. Cause Tom, you know, he's, he, he was an animal. He, he rolled over every night, too, you know. Oh, so so many so many great stories there, and and, and just in, in what you were talking about with those guys too, and and you know I remember Dennis telling the story, and 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 because I you know I started diving into, um, you know at the time you were talking about there was this stretch where there were times when when you know Dennis almost got unbeatable, and um, you know all of a sudden because Monster Patrol showing up, and here's this guy he doesn't know named Tom Mintz. And, and, he, and he kept talking about Tom coming out there with this raggedy crap of his. That's, that's, the way he, that's what he called it. And he's just kicking my butt every time going out there. And, uh, and he tells a story about Tom being out there. I believe it was in Pueblo, Colorado, if, if I remember Tom, the story Dennis telling right. And something went wrong on Tom's Monster Patrol. And, and he, he needed some kind of a bearing or something. And... And so, you know, and, and Dennis didn't know Tom yet. And he, he, so he tells Tommy Powers, go over, see if he can help him out. And, and you know, and Tommy comes back and says, uh, yeah, I think we got some bearings back here. And he says, well, don't give him the new ones. Give him the ones that we just shined back up. And, you know, put, put them in him, let him, let him have them go. And so he gets out, gets out in the line that night. Here comes Tom Mims pulling up. And sure enough, Monster Patrol took Gravedigger down that night. And Dennis said, well, I'll be damned trying to help a guy out this is what happens and so apparently it went on that because you know as you know dennis was the one who five years earlier showed up and stuff that yeah it had that that great fan following and that great paint job on the body but you didn't know if it was going to run or you didn't know if it was going to run for more than the qualifying round and now he had gotten to to good equipment and and and, and you know being reliable and so he's, he's looking at tom and i think he's He's almost afraid he's looking in a mirror because he doesn't think Tom's got the equipment, but Tom's going out there and, and just running his... What he told me that I thought was interesting, Paul, was that, uh, you know, and you'll remember this, they used to send you a list, a little show list. Here's here's the venue, especially I know SRO Pace did, and I'm, I'm assuming other promoters as well. Here's the venue, you know, here's the times, here's how many events we're running, and, you know, here's the list of trucks and the drivers that are going to be competing. Dennis said he never looked at that list until all that started. And then he looked to see if Tom Mentz's name was on. He said, oh, that Tom Mentz is there. All right, he's calling Tommy and he's calling Richard, freshen up the motor. We'll do you know, that's the impact you guys had, you know? And it was oh, yeah. because you, you got these guys and, and you were willing to work with them and just let them, let them go out there and build their careers. 
Well, that's what we did. We had good stuff. We we put together a good motor. I had a good motor builder, and I had an old guy that worked for me, and he did a good job on the trucks, and then we wanted to win. You know, that's why we. I spent 40 hours cutting the tires down. My tires weighed about 480 pounds apiece, you know. Uh, we got them light, you know. The trucks weighed 9,200 pounds, you know. My Monster Patrol that I sold, it only weighs 9,200 pounds, you know, uh, with 32 gallons alcohol in it, you know. It, it was light, you know, and that's how I beat them, you know. Them guys weighed 11, 12, 13,000 pounds. Then as we kept going and going and building trucks, you know, we, we put the motor in the back of the first Monster Patrol, and then we figured out, well, now it's flying wrong, you know. It's flying the nose up. We want to win races. And then I figured out the gear ratio. I put a different gear ratio in it. I made to change the gear ratio to make the wheels spin faster, and we'd fly straight and longer. And then we started moving the motor forward back, you know. Tom took that old truck and never did mold. He still got a front-engine motor. And then that's the way to go. You put a tall gear in it and let it rip, you know. Yeah, Um you know, you talk about some of those names too. Now, now you bought when you bought Taurus. Taurus, and again, now I'm going back to the days of, uh, you know, when nobody was 100% sure, and and nobody had figured out how you could put, you know, or at least from a promoter's point of view, how you could run a monster truck across a scale unless you were going to do it in the highway way station. But the 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 everybody thought that that. Jack Wilman built the lightest trucks out there. When, when you bought it from him, was it especially light? It was light. Jack Jack built a, a truck out of chromoly and all. And uh, and uh, let me see how we're doing. Okay, it, yeah, he built it all out of chromoly and all that. And it was super light, super light. You know, it was probably ninety seven hundred, nine thousand, oh, almost ten thousand pounds, ninety five hundred pounds. It was light. You know. Yeah, because there were a lot of trucks in, in those days that were way over ten grand, right? Yeah, yeah, it was probably twelve, thirteen thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the other things that comes to mind, and we're going to talk about some of these names as we go through here, but you know, one of the interesting things from what you were just talking about with Larry and with BJ, you think about the legacy of Barefoot, one of the most famous trucks ever that you ended up acquiring from Fred. You know, Fred made his name winning races. Fred won championships. He won races. As the world moves into freestyle, nobody's seen Fred really tear up a lot of stuff. You know, that was a race truck. That was a fast truck. That was a, a truck that was going to be spectacular. But but Fred tended to drive it out of the building. And now all of a sudden people are seeing this iconic barefoot truck. And, and I'm assuming Larry and BJ are just tearing pieces off of it every night. Oh, they did. They tore them up every night, you know. And Fred, now when I raced Fred, you know, Fred used to – beat me all the time you know and and, uh, and i got the old tours and then we had to go to uh uh michigan up there to that uh stadium up there and the, his sponsors was up there and and i beat carolina crusher and i beat predator and i beat this guy and i had to come to the finals with fred fred come over to me and say hey paul my sponsor's up there you know you gotta let me win you know like what do you mean let you win i go you're gonna beat me anyway you know I go, I'm running pretty good, but I'm not running. I can't beat that heavy, you know. Oh, no, no. I'll give you 500 bucks, you know. If, if, <laughs> no, no, no way. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't think so. I'll, I'll, you're going to beat me anyway. And and that was a that's the first time I won against Fred inside. There's like 92,000 people there, and I beat him. He, he yeah, that, that was the Silverdome. Yeah, that, that was the Silverdome. And, and the Silverdome. I, 
I, I remember Charlie Mancuso looking at me and, and saying, did you ever think you'd announce in front of 92,000 people? There were I looked at him and said, there are 92,000 people here? Yeah. And, and was just shocked. That was just unbelievable. You, you can't do that these days, too, because they didn't have the, the safety holds, and we hadn't learned as much about how far back you need to keep things. And, and I, they sold every seat in that building that night. I know. That was the biggest race I ever won. You know, that 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 race meant more to me because I beat everybody there, you know. And he was he was number one to beat, you know. And he wanted, it, to, yeah. he wanted to beat me because Dodge was there. You know? And I remember also in those days from the mega shows like that, they might run 16, 18, 20 trucks. I can't remember how many were at that one. Yeah. But, you know, you and they would load, you know, it wasn't like split tours back then. If they had a high-profile show like Pontiac, Dennis was coming and Porter was coming, oh, yeah. and, you know, and you were coming and Fred was coming. And anybody who was running for SRO Pace at the time was going to be there. So, yeah, you, you mentioned Predator. Yeah, you had to take out all the guns. Yeah, yeah, I, I got lucky that night. <laughs> I don't know about lucky because you had a lot of success, but you know when you think about that, I'm wondering. You, you get somebody like like Fred with a comment like that, and you know, and and, and the, the the nature of the business. You talk about your success as a stock car racer. Did that always carry over? Was that always a? Because it, you know, there's a times when when people were, you know, and and Dennis would get that way sometimes as freestyle, and that's why when freestyle became a competition, it was right up his alley. He's more about putting on a show for the fans. But I always got the impression you were about trying to get up on that winner stage. You were looking to win the race. That that was my whole life. When I drove the dirt cars, you know, I, I wanted the lightest car. I wanted, you know, all the stuff that I could do, you know, to win races, you know. And, and that, that's what I tried to do, you know. And, and, and I did, you know. I, I, I brought it back over to the Monster Patrol and got lighter and lighter. And even the Mud Patrol, I tried to get it lighter and unsprung weight and tried to get faster and faster. I put a blower on it. I bought a 1471 high helix blower and on and on. I just did all kind of crazy stuff trying to win, you know. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that uh, I don't know if fans think about this that much, but I, I know – you know, people who want to go fast understand the concept of that power to, to weight ratio and how important it is that, uh, yeah, again, you're able to get as much power to the ground as you can and have to pull as little weight as you can. Yeah, I kept trying to beat Fred, you know. He had the big Hemis and all that. And I went to California and I bought a Chevy Hemi had three push rods and I tried and I tried and tried and I couldn't beat him. And we was running that special events and, and Fred was running like four fifty nine and all that. And I finally said, well, I got to buy me a Hemi. I just couldn't, I just couldn't beat him. I went out and bought a Hemi and I run the same distance and I went over the first set of cars and the truck got sideways and I backed out of it, hammered over the second set of cars and, uh, and, and I run a 469, you know. I said, wow. You know, me and Gary Porter, we're the only two Chevrolets ever run into the fours. We, I run 499. I think he run a 488. We couldn't beat them Hemis. Them Hemis, they ran, you know. Yeah, that's, you know, why they're, they're legendary. There's, there's no, no doubt about that. Hey, um, you know, when you think back to when you drove, and I know it was – 
driving monster trucks was only a small part of your racing career and your mud career. And then, of course, actually moving out of the truck and, and, and owning a fleet and promoting your own events. But when you think about it, we've already hit on a few of them. You know, people who find out that you were a monster truck racer and they say, oh, man, what, was, what do you remember most about that? What was your biggest thrill about that? What was your best wins? What are some of the things that you remember most about it, your actual driving days? What I can remember of, of, of driving and, and the fans, you know, you know what drives me crazy? You know, like I, I kind of look at these people. I'll get some guy that looks like he's 50 years old, and he'll come walking up to me and say, Paul, I used to watch I used to watch you race when I was about five years old, you know? I go, holy cow, I'm not that old, you know? So, but I, I remember a bunch of different stuff, you know? We did a, we did a stadium in, uh, in New York somewhere, you know? It was an indoor show. And, and I had a guy named Lonnie work for me. And uh, there was a million people out there. And I come out in the tunnel walking, and he had a crew uniform on. I go, there's Paul Schaefer. And he signed autographs for about three hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, you could, you could get away with some of that back in the oh, day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, not happening today. Everybody knows everybody between social media and television and everything else. But, but yeah, it, it was uh, uh, you can kind of get away with some of that. And, and, you know, and as we started to do more and more pit parties, I, I remember every now and then that a, that a driver would do that, put his crew chief out there to sign the autographs. And, and in many cases, the, no fans would, would, would know the difference. So I, I did a show with Jack Wilman up there in, in L.A. at the Coliseum up there. And, I, and they paid me to bring the Mud Patrol out there. And Mud Patrol was pretty famous around here, but they'd never seen it on the West Coast. And I took it out there, and I took my Monster Patrol out there, and Jack had his out there. He had a McGee motor, and it had two plugs per cylinder and two fuel pumps and crazy deal. And he wanted me to drive it. And they put a, a $10,000 computer on it. And he goes, Paul, I don't want you to lift. You know, and I said, Jack, the track is terrible. He goes, I don't want you to lift. I go, okay, boss, whatever you want. So I held it clean to the floor, and I went over to cars, and it, and it, it did a big nose dive, and it dove down to the ground, and I tried to bring it out of it, and uh, I seen the tunnel, and I tried to aim for the tunnel, and I got back on it, and it started flipping, and it flipped all the way over and hit the wall, you know, and crushed the cage in on it and all that, and crazy Jack drug it out there and they put me in the hamlets and they knocked my glasses off and the guy set the fire extinguisher off i finally got out of there and went back there and they're working on that truck again he goes you go, you'll be ready for the next round bill easterly come up and said paul you drive that thing over the cars you don't you don't jump the cars because the cage they was afraid the cage was going to man up but the computer ten thousand dollars had the guys from australia in there and and it, it took me too long to pull up to the line, and the computer ran out. They didn't get nothing on the on the computer, you know. It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a, what a great story. Hey, I don't know if you caught it. I don't know how much you, you, you follow any other racing or watch these days. But you said that, and it just kind of gave me thoughts about you know, so many stories about when they did get in some of those iconic buildings like the L.A. Coliseum. Um, a NASCAR actually ran its bush yeah. clash there this past weekend. Did you notice that? Yeah, I seen that. That was pretty neat. It kind of, yeah, it kind of makes me makes me smile. And it's like, it's like, well, maybe maybe when we did run it, you know, in the LA Coliseum, we were on to something because uh, uh, they had a pretty daggone good crowd in there. And then I think it got them a lot of interest for a race that that 
up to now, it, it kind of seemed to be waning a little bit when they kept running Daytona every year because the, the big shows is you're still in a week and a half away. And, and, but I, I was just looking at that and look at the way the, the asphalt was in there and, and watching some of it. And, uh, you know, obviously totally different from what you ran on, but it was, it was just brought back some cool memories. You know, this, this great football stadium can also handle some cool motorsports. Yeah, they did a great job. I, I I thought they'd be fighting out there a little bit. They must have had a long talk before the race. And the boys don't take each other out, but they they put on a good show. You know, it was a pretty good show. You know. Yeah, because you and I know about bull rings, but a lot of those guys, you know, in, in today's world, didn't have to come up on the bull rings, and that that's about as close to uh, a Saturday night quarter mile bull ring short track as they're yeah. ever going to see at that level. Yeah, yeah. good they stuff. They had the super late models out there like us. We'd all been fighting. They'd been fighting <laughs> heck, you know. They'd been taking each, each other out and everything else, you know. Yeah, everybody with the bump and run move. And once you get in and move him out of the way, you're going to have to talk to him back in the pits afterward. And probably talking wasn't going to be a part of it, right? Yep. So, media, I promised everybody a lot of great history and great stories. And we've already gotten some of it. And I want to get some more. But I guess let's bring Paul Schaefer back in, a longtime driver of Monster Patrol. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll stumble back to your driving days here as we go, go through the rest of the show. But but I wanted to get to the point where you decide, to, and, and Carolina Crusher was first, right? You decide to buy Gary Porter's operation. What, what if you can, and again, with what you're willing to talk about, what kind of motivated you and got you thinking along those lines and how did that lead to continuing to add trucks to your fleet? I really don't know. What what I did was I started out. Uh, Gary Gary wanted to sell his truck, and we talked about it. And I said, "I'll buy it, and you can drive for me." You know, and uh, he goes, "Well, I like to have a new trailer." And I bought him a brand new trailer, and he he did the whole inside, and he traveled with it. And 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 I started I started you know like I told you they never paid no big money to none of these guys except. Grave digger got a little bit of money, and this guy got a little bit of money, and that guy. Well, I started building trucks, and I started running for U.S. Motorsports, and and I ran for Clear Channel. And next thing you know, I, I I bought a couple more trucks, and they wanted to pay me, and I said, well, I'll build a couple more. So then I couldn't build them fast enough, so I said, oh, I'll just buy Gary's. And then uh, Fred, he come up to me, and I said, well, what do you want for it? And I said, I'll buy it. And I bought a shop down there, and he had a guy working for. And we built a couple more trucks. Then I had 11 trucks. It's a crazy story, but I had 11 trucks, and uh, and uh, Clear Channel tried to buy me out. You know, it, it was it was kind of crazy, you know. And uh, they offered me big money for them, and I should have took it. You know, I was dumb, young and dumb, and I didn't take it. And uh, we had a big beating down there in St. Louis and Bill Easterly, I got to thank him, but he told me I was uh, not a racer. I was an entertainer. And I had 11 trucks. And I said, well, Bill, you're wrong. I'm a racer. I've been a racer my whole life, and I'm a racer. And I kind of walked out of the meeting. So then we, we in December, we had to, uh, they was booking trucks for, for January, February, March. So I went up there and, uh, I met Bill, and, and I thought about it for a long time there after he told me I was an entertainer. So I walked in there, and I said, Bill, you're right. I am an entertainer, and I'm a very good entertainer, and they make money. So I sat there with about 10 people at the table, and I said, well, I'll give you all 11 trucks. 
but I kind of lied because I couldn't give them 11 trucks because I already booked like half of them or seven or eight of them with U.S. Motorsports. So they said, well, we, we want all 11 trucks. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you all 11 trucks. I want 5,000 a truck. They told me I was crazy. I got up and walked out. Two weeks later, they called me back and said, first year, we'll pay you $47.50. Second year, we'll pay you $5,000. Wow. So I got paid. But they kind of cut me off. You know, They kind of cut me down on some of the shows in the second year because they started building trucks because they couldn't buy mine. So they built their own trucks. You know, And I really should have sold them to them. You know? But I jacked the price right on up there. And I, I helped every guy out there because they had to pay. You know, and then, well, I didn't have enough trucks for 11 trucks for Clear Channel. So I went out and bought Fred, and I bought this truck, and I put bodies on trucks. And you want to run my body? You can run my body, and I'll pay you this much. So I'd pay a guy 3500 and he'd run my body, and I'm getting 5000 you know. So I, I started making money, and then I started buying trucks, and I bought more and more trucks, you know. So that's how I all got started, and I had to buy all these trucks, and I bought ground pounder, and you know, and, and I had to have a woman driver. I had a couple of women drivers for me, and and just kept on and on. You know, Paul, that's that's so interesting, and and what what some people might not be surprised by, but but might not have thought of, is that you brought a a, a down to earth grassroots business acumen to this and weren't afraid to take a no. If they were going to tell you no on the 5,000, you were clearly ready to go take these trucks other places. Because so many of the folks in, in those days, um, it felt like they had to take what was offered, is my, is my recollection. And, and they had never really been in a spot of, you know, they got in, most of the guys in the early days got in running for purses, as you know. And yeah, then they Fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, you know? it wasn't much, and so, so Dennis was one of the first because Dennis couldn't afford to run for purses, and they wanted Dennis, and he he had to start getting guaranteed money, and they started the transition, but that guaranteed money wasn't much, and yeah. you really did with with a move like that, like you're saying, kind of start to to to, to force it up where where these other guys were going to benefit because you had eleven trucks, somebody with one or two trucks, hey, I want this or I want that. Well, you know, unless unless your name was, you know, Dennis Anderson or or, or Bob Chandler, they probably weren't going to talk to you. Nope. But we started that with 11 trucks, and then they tried to buy me, and I didn't sell, and, you know, I bought more and more trucks, and, and the second year was tough on me because I didn't do a whole lot of shows for them, and I started going out renting the stadiums and doing this and doing fairs, and, and I made some money. I lost money in Maine, and I was doing, like, three shows a weekend, you know, and it was hard to get people. I had Bobby Paul, and I had a lot of good people helping me, and we tried to run these shows, and we did a good job. It just, it got more and more, and then my boy came along in 97, you know, now I got a babysat, too, and it was tough. It was tough, you know? So, Paul Safer Motorsports starts putting on events. When you have that many trucks, it seems like a natural thing, but it was almost and. and well, let me ask you, and you can clarify for me, but it, it almost became an, a necessity. You've got all these trucks, and for whatever reason, they're not using you as much where, you, where your main money may have come the year before. So you started to put on your own events with something you really had to do to work these trucks. 
I did. I put shows on in in, in uh, Daytona and all over the place, you know. And I made money some places. I made money and some I lost money, you know. I learned real quick. It was a lot of work, you know. You know, Monster Jam does a lot of work. It costs a lot of money, you know. You know, I was in a I was in a stadium and I'm in there cleaning the bathroom. People say, "Why are you cleaning the bathroom?" I said, "For fifteen hundred dollars, I'm cleaning the bathrooms," you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was crazy, you know. Just yeah, crazy. people wouldn't realize the contracts that go into those things, yeah, yeah. And, and, and what dirt, they try to charge you for. For dirt, you know, I had to uh, hire people to do that. And I mean, there's a lot of things behind the scenes you don't see. When you see 70,000 people on there, you can count all the tickets, but they, that's not all profit. You know, you'd be surprised, you know, how much money you lose sometimes, you know. I, I know this, and I, you know, my memory's not what it once was. But I do remember a couple of summers when I was working at Louisville Motor Speedway. And so I'm working. And, and in those days, the work for Clear Channel or SRO Pace or whoever the name was on the paycheck at the time, um, the bulk of the work was January, February, March. And then they were, they were still doing, you know, in, in 90s, early 2000s, a lot of speedways, you know, the New York tours, the West Lebanons, the Stafford Springs and Hagerstowns and, and um, a lot of these different events. And, but it would work for me because I would, I was working full-time at Louisville Speedway, but I could take Andy Vertries was cool with me taking the winners off to work for them and announce monster truck shows and do their television stuff in January, February, March. And then I basically then would, would come off the road in April through September or October. And I mean, you know, he's a legendary announcer anyway, but that was one of the easiest things for Joe Lowe because he was going to take all the summer shows. I, I couldn't even ask for him. I wasn't available. And that's why, you know, every, every racetrack, you know, uh, that ever ran with, with SRO Pace knows Joe Lowe. And, I mean, my gosh, he did 20 straight years at West Lebanon. But, but to the point, I remember getting a call from Paul Schaefer. Paul's going to put on an event. I want to say it was at the Lake County Fairgrounds outside of Chicago. Um and um, asking me if I could come up and announce it. And it was a weekend we were going to have a race. But the thing I'll never forget, and we don't need to talk exact numbers, but you offered me almost three times the money that any other promoter had ever offered me. And I walked into Andy Vertries and I said, we don't have a big race this weekend. Uh, my th th this, this great promoter has offered me this to go up there and put this event on. And Andy said, if you're making that much money, you go up there and work for him. We'll handle a racetrack down here for you. And uh, I always appreciated that. But I always thought there were great shows that you were putting on, too, because you had all your trucks. But um, I think that year you had Samson come in and, and um, you know, you, you bring some other guys in, too. Did you enjoy doing that, or was it just all, oh, man, i got to work these trucks? And well, I tried to work my trucks and, and outside trucks, too. I tried to bring in Samson and Bigfoot and, and some of them, you know. I, I, I tried to put on good shows for the people, and we did. Most of the time, we we did good shows, you know. But, yeah, uh, you know, we made money, but it was a lot of work, you know. You know, people didn't understand, you know. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm out there cleaning the tracks and getting it ready for the next day, you know. And, you know, I, you know, I did Valpol, and I'm sitting there, and the show's over with. And I'm looking at all these trucks, and I said, look at all these tires. I got 40 tires I got to load up in trailers to get rid of them, you know, take them back to the yard, you know, back to the shop, you know. 
there's a lot of work behind the deal, you know. And, and these guys, all the drivers want to go out and drink beer, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but 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 I also thought it was interesting um, because a lot of guys that get into the, the, the promoting business, you know, they're going to cut every corner or, or do this. First of all, again, I, I was, you know, thrilled at, at you know, the, the, the rate you offered me to do your shows. And um, but the other thing, when I got up there, it was every bit the quality of event for anybody that I had ever worked for. The safety standards were in place. The lineups were impeccable. And you're right. We had Bigfoot there, too. Bigfoot, Samson, several of your trucks. And, and the place was just jam packed because the people were getting one heck of an event. And, and those guys went after it. Those were good shows. Yeah, I tried to put on good shows all every place I went, you know, but but it is a lot of work, a lot of work and a lot of time, you know. And plus I, you know, I owned a bunch of yards at that time too and tried to do that. It just got too much work for me and I just say, well, you know, you know, it was hard to deal with Clear Channel. Clear Channel, you go into Jacksonville, you go into any town, they own all the radio stations and they charge me double the the price. A lot of them wouldn't even put my ads on the radio because, because it's competition against them. And then they they buried me two or three times. And I did the Daytona, and they put ten trucks for ten dollars in Jacksonville. You know, and stole half my crowd. You know, I lost a bunch of money there. But you know, what do you do? Yeah, and and you know there was a a level. And, and he, when you're doing this, you're fitting into a scenario where these guys were already, um, I don't want to use a real negative term here, but let's just say highly competitive. So SRO Pace was trying to keep USA Motorsports out of their markets. And there's other promoters that, and, and, and so you're doing your events, and now they're looking at you like, like another one that they're going to, they got to try and, and, and stay on top of, even though that they had worked with you for years. So that, that had to be a weird feeling. <laughs> I worked hard at it. it. It was different, you know. It was it was neat. It was cool. I I liked it. We had a lot of fun, you know. We did Arizona State Fair and Kingswood, you know. I did a, a racetrack out there. It's a horse track. We did the show. Next morning, I got up. It's 100 degrees outside, and I'm picking up all the glass. And I got a big loader out there. I'm trying to level out the track, and this old guy come up to me. That ain't gonna work. You got to make it smooth. I worked on it another hour, and he's, now nah, it ain't going to work. I go, how do you guys get it smooth? We paid a guy over there, the farmer with his grader, $300. I, you mean to tell me if I gave you $300, you'd be happy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I gave him $300. Why, two hours he could I could have gave, I could have been home, you know? <laughs> oh, my. Oh, hey, that's amazing. Wood, Kingsward, don't get no rain out there, none, you know? And, and the day I put the show on, we probably got an inch of rain, two inches of rain, you know? It was crazy, you know? Yeah, I, I. some people will realize this, but some people watching may not. What we're talking about here, what you did, and what actually, by necessity, formed Paul Schaefer Motorsports as a promoter was that the way you described it, no one had done that before. As a matter of fact, you know, now, you know, Feld Entertainment owns whatever, 50, 60 trucks that they've owned and built and, and built up their own fleet. And the day we're talking about, I think they only owned a few grave diggers. You owned more trucks than they did, right? Well, I was going to buy grave digger, you know, you know, not really. I wasn't going to buy them, but here's here's what happened. I bought Barefoot and Carolina Crusher, Boogie Van, and I bought all these trucks. 
And Dennis called me up. Paul, I want to sell my trucks. He goes, you need to act like you're going to buy my trucks. I'll pay you a little on the side, you know? And I said, well, okay. So I put it out that I'm buying Gravedigger, you know? And uh, it took them about three weeks. And uh, uh, Clear Channel bought them, you know? Dennis never told me that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. That, that. Paul, that's what I love about this 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 show, and that may be one of the greatest nuggets yeah. that we've ever had that I'll bet nobody out there ever heard before, because Dennis has never told that story to my knowledge. Oh, I mean, no. sure, sure he's told it to, to people close to him, but he made you a side business deal yeah. with yeah. a little bit of money, You because everybody knew you were buying trucks, oh, yeah. and the word gets out that Paul Schaefer's going to buy Gravedigger, and three weeks <laughs> later, it's owned by Clear Channel or whatever the company yeah. was at the time. And really, wow. I probably could have bought that truck, but I, I didn't. I didn't have the money to buy that much. He got good money out of it. Yeah, yeah he got. He, he did at the time because I think he goes back and kicks himself every, every now and then, and yeah. and uh, would like to have different parts of the deal. But because how, how many trucks did he have when he sold? He he, he, had, I think he had four. He yeah, I thought he had four. So, so Paul Shaver's going to buy four grave diggers, and sure enough, somebody else. And I'll I'll bet he got top dollar at least at, at that moment. Um, you know, again, revisiting it later, he probably wished he got more. But, you know, what a great story. That's a, yeah. that's probably a good good place to take a commercial break because we'll have some more stuff, but I don't know how we top that one. Oh, I can just see Dennis, too. Paul, Paul, I'll give you some money. You just put the word out you're buying my trucks. And he's got the whole master plan and the Anderson brain going right there. <laughs> now, people think he took too many shots at the head. That guy's pretty sharp, too. You know, a lot of you guys. He, he was he was another Tom Mintz. When he was yep. young, he was Tom Mintz. Him yep. and Lyle, that Lyle Hancock. He Lyle was Hancock. Driver too. I like Lyle. Lyle was good, you know. You know. He was, no, a, he, he, super nice he was, and he was, a, he was a trendsetter too in a lot of ways, but you, but yeah. you're right. Dennis's biggest problem with Lyle is he tore up as much as he did. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, everybody, Robert Parker and these guys would get a grave digger truck and say, well, he drives it that way. Of course, if they didn't drive it that way, you know, then the fans would be complaining and this and that, but Dennis didn't like paying those bills. That's why he wanted to sell the whole deal. Cause, and, and you would find that out later when BJ Johnson and Larry swim came along. Well, I'm sure you had other wild men. In oh, yeah. Top Mance, of course. I had, I had a guy named Mike John, uh, Dropping out of uh, Alaska. He came down. I remember him. I remember him. He came down and drove for me. He drove a barefoot truck, and I had him doing displays all over the place, right? He called me up, and I said, I go, do you get paid? He goes, yeah, I got paid. I go, what's wrong? He goes, well, I got a problem. He goes, they wanted me to do burnouts in the parking lot. I go, well, ain't no big deal. He goes, well, I did. I did a burnout, and I went down to the corner, and I hit the cement barrier, and I rolled it over. I go, you rolled it over at a display? At a display? Tore the box. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be kidding. You know? I don't know. I've ever heard of one being rolled over at a display before, either. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it. it's happened. I'm sure it's happened. But, I'd be oh, laying goodness. in bed, and all these guys would call me and tell me how they did. Well, I rolled over tonight. I go, wow, okay. Next guy, I, I, I kicked butt. I won. But I had a problem in freestyle. He rolled it over. I had three trucks roll over in the, in the same night, you know. They tore them up, you know. When We'll get to this when we come back. But uh, I, I know you loved what you did. You loved being a part of it. But, boy, there must have been a relief when you decided to back out a little bit and not have to take those phone calls every weekend. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it was a little bit easier, but I, you know, I was babysitting. I was taking care of my boy and trying to take care of all those yards. And, you know, I kept buying and buying and doing this and that. I got lucky. I, I made a little money here and there. Well, you, you, you made enough, obviously, to have that big smile on your face and be going around well right now. We're going to talk more with Paul Schaefer in a minute. I'm going to take a quick commercial break and uh, say a big thanks once again to uh, the sponsors helping us out on this show. We really appreciate having great companies like PNC Bank. And, um, again, we'll uh, – I'll put the link there that you can click to if you want to check out their website. But just know that they're a great sponsor of motorsports. They have been for years and great community citizens. PNC.com is the website. And, of course, we also uh, want to say a big thanks to Lucas Oil. And uh, LucasOil.com is where you'll find it. You go to LucasOil.com. There's just so much on there. You spend a little time. Yeah, you can find out about all their products. But, you know, all the things they do with, with MAV-TV and with, with, with Forest Films. And, and Forest really believes in Protect the Harvest, which is something that's really interesting and that's worth checking out. So, again, we thank those sponsors. If you're interested in having your company sponsor this show, well, all you got to do is go to my website. It's scottdouglasmedia.com. And just click the contact page. And there you'll see an easy way to send a message that goes right to me, no middleman. And if you're interested, just say you're interested in sponsoring the show, shoot me a message. And uh, I'll get back with you, and we'll put something together that, that works for you and will help us keep this thing going. We do uh, say a big thanks to PNC Bank and to Lucas Oil and to all of you for watching. Welcome to the subscribe. Scott Douglas Media Channel. We stream live here every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for the talk show Conversations with Scott Douglas, a long-form interview program featuring big-name guests from the world of Monster Jam, motorsports, live entertainment, and more. On each conversation, you will hear directly from the superstars and key behind-the-scenes players telling their unique stories and offering tips and insights into their specific industry. You can watch each show for free when the conversation streams live or watch a show anytime at your convenience by subscribing to the Scott Douglas Media Channel here on Twitch. It's easy to do. Just click on the About button on this page and scroll down to get your subscription started. Subscriptions are as low as $4.99 per month, and Amazon Prime members can use their complimentary subscription to any Twitch channel that they receive each month as one of their Amazon Prime benefits to use that to subscribe and enjoy all of the entertaining and informative conversations that we have right here, live, three times each week. And be sure to check out the website, scottdouglasmedia.com, for the lineup of scheduled guests that are coming up on Conversations, and for details on the production services that I can provide. Thanks for visiting the Scott Douglas Media Channel and tune in every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time when Conversations with Scott Douglas comes your way live. And we welcome you back to the conversation. Absolutely uh, a riveting, entertaining, delightful, uh, history-filled conversation tonight. So let's bring Paul Schaefer back in, the, the uh, originator of the Monster Patrol monster truck and then went on to, to own a fleet and that's kind of where we were talking about um what was the most trucks you owned at any one time was it 11 22 oh tw I, I didn't think it was that's why yeah. it's about 22 on my own 22 yeah i kept and, buying them, you know i kept buying them and building them and buying them and building them you know and i, I had to and then i kept selling them i sold 10 to australia over there you know so I, yeah, you 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 always were a businessman as we've talked about here but what did you did some of them you just acquire the names to, the, the names to i mean sorry the rights to a name or did you always buy the physical and the the naming rights as well yeah i bought the name and the i bought the name and the rights and all that you know 
that was the key is the names, you know. And and I had a couple of good guys working for me, and, and we got a lot of money from Amsoil took care of us and Microsoft, Radio Shack. We had a lot of good sponsors back in them days, you know. I probably made a million dollars in sponsors from different people, product and all that. You know, we, we had a lot of a lot of good people helped us, you know. Uh, Ozzy Oz, we did a program with him, you know. Kid Rock, we did a program. Uh, Earnhardt, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., I built him a truck. Uh, Tony Stewart was on one of the trucks. Kevin Harvick, we did a thing for ESPN. He drove one of the trucks, you know. Uh, we did a bunch of different trucks, you know. Uh, Ozzy, we did all his every every place that he went out and signed hit all his shows. We parked a truck right out there. The first show we did was in Georgia somewhere, a big stadium down there, and uh, SRO was a was a promoter, Clear Channel, and they they told Ozzy, you can't put that truck there. And he goes, I own that truck. It's it's staying there. And they told him, you got to take that you got to take that uh, Paul Schaefer Motorsport shirt off. He goes, I'm not taking it off. I sponsored that truck, and we did shows, and they didn't like that because the Oz Monsters was there, you know. Wow. We had, we had a guy named Brian Hardwood, and he would go all over with it with Ozzy. You know, we did a bunch. Kid Rock, we did a show up there. He had a, it's in a video somewhere. If you look on the YouTube, we did a show up in Detroit. and uh, uh, We tied. We, they took straps and put Kid Rock on top of the monster truck and drove it into the place. And then he jumped off and was singing and stuff. So we did a bunch of crazy stuff, you know. I we love did, all that, yeah. Tonka toy truck, we did that truck, you know. We did a bunch of them, you know. That, that, it, it's just amazing. You know, the other part about that that I don't think anybody really realized, and I, I know I certainly didn't, I, you know. And you come from... You know, when you're in the short track racing world or when you're in any type of the stock car racing world, um, you, you live and die on sponsorships. They're going to be local sponsorships. But the guy who's getting the money, you know, is going to be the guy who has the fresh tires to run and win the race that Saturday night. When we were starting in, in Monster Trucks, everybody had these big sponsor ideas. But but nobody, you know, I, mean, I remember Dennis thinking he could get Chevrolet and went in there and had his hopes all up and nobody was really interested really at that point and so for for you to be able to generate that kind of stuff i'm assuming it's because that's part of what you were always doing you if you're a race car driver whether it's local regional national maybe you've got a whole team doing it somebody's looking for sponsors well i think i got lucky i hit it at the right time when monster trucks was taken off you know and we went out and got sponsors you know and one right after another we kept going i had a, a good team looking for sponsors and, and we picked them up you know gibson guitar gave me a bunch of money and guitars and we did different shows but we was all over you know with all them trucks you know i put bodies on trucks you know and they was running on uh, oregon and, and california and we was running all over you know i had a lot of trucks out there running i did a mcdonald's commercial and uh I did all kind of crazy stuff, you know, we just on and on. And, and Radio Shack, they they did two years, you know, they gave me $300,000. But it was a lot of money in that, you know, at that time. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. That, I could see the rest of uh, the monster truck world salivating over one like that to get. And, and you know, we talked about that with some different people. But, you know, and, and then when, we, when, the, when you would see a very visible sponsorship, and this could go back to the Tough Tracks days, um, and TNT, 
I mean, it, people just fell over when when auto value was on Scott Stevens's King Crunch. I mean, that was a huge deal for everybody because yeah. nobody else was was finding anything. Move it into the you know SRO pace days. For years, the Cretans having Checker trucks and Cragen, you know, allowed Jimmy to build all that horsepower and, and, and allowed those trucks to to run at that level. Um, but there were a lot of them, like our good buddy Jim Kohler up there, who was just, you know what? I'll take Lucas Oil's products. I'll put his stuff on there, and I'm gonna figure out a way to make this thing work. And uh, you know, he's still out there with his four trucks at the top of the game. But you really set, uh, did something nobody ever did, really. When you look at how you how you built it, and I'm wondering, you, you explained pretty well how it got going and why you wanted to acquire more trucks or you'd build more trucks. But was there a point, and was it most of the time? Were you out there looking, or was once once your reputation that you were adding trucks? Would your phone ring and maybe Tony Farrell saying, "Hey, I got the wild thing for sale." Were you getting a lot of that? Yeah, Tony. Tony wanted to sell it, and I bought it, and then uh, he drove for me. He drove for me for a couple of years, you know. And uh, he was a he was a super nice guy. He was he was a character, you know. We'd stay in a hotel, and we all had to watch Tony. Tony was doing something, you know. I mean, he was he was one of a guy, you know. You never knew what was going to happen. You had to watch yourself, you know. You never you never you never told your right name when you checked in the hotel because Tony would find you and he'd do something to your hotel somehow or another, take your bed apart or do something, you know. He was he was crazy. <laughs> That's why he and Mike Wine get away get along so well. They're they're cut from the same cloth, yeah. you know. And uh, and actually, after Wine had been out of the business for a while, I'm sure you probably know a lot of this, that, that it was Tony who kind of got him back in. And and uh, I, I love those kind of relationships. And and I love the fact that everybody talks about you, Paul. And I'm sure there's some people who, you know, you're a businessman, and there's some people you probably rub the wrong way. But I'm going to tell you, in the monster truck and the monster jam industry, the people that I know, you know, your name comes up, and, and even if, there's been some ups and downs in your relationships in this day and age. They've only got nothing but respect and, and love for you and an appreciation, you know, for what you did on your own that gave so many people opportunities. Yeah, I took Kurt Daphne. He bought the, I bought the overkill from him and, and he drove for me uh, two or three years. And uh, I had a bunch of good people, you know, they, you know, just on and on. Amber Skywalker, she was a, uh, a little girl when I met her, she was 18 years old. She started driving, you know, and uh, she did a good job for me. I'm interested too in in your acquiring boogie van. Did, did did Mike just call you and say, "Hey, you want to buy another one"? How did that come? Oh no, no, Mike didn't call me. Mike wasn't happy with me on that deal. She called me. Pam called me. Oh, Pam called you. Yeah, Pam, because Pam owned the truck. Okay. And Pam called me, and, and I bought it from her. You know. Then she drove for me for a while, you know. Yeah, and and of course, you know that was the first marriage and long ago. But yeah. but you know it, it's interesting in, in in that situation the, the things that you don't really know because most of the time you know you see something and Mike's done a great job of putting things together as the years have gone on and you know everything now is Vodder's Motorsports with the different trucks that he has. I assumed it was always that way, but Pam actually owned that truck. Wow. I guess I guess when I, I think when they got divorced, she got that truck and he got the other truck, you know. So So I'm assuming over. he I'm assuming he got over it. You go get along these days, I hope. No, I still <laughs> talk to Mike, you know, he, he's all right. Yeah, Mike's all right. There's no doubt about that. And you know, it's that's another thing that I wanted to get into a little bit. 
Um, because your son's racing some now, right? He's racing. Yep. Yep. What, what, what what's he, he involved in? He runs a super late model car. He runs all up in Wisconsin and down in Florida a little bit and here and there, you know, any, any, did you ever mention any desire to, to do what dad did and drive a monster truck? I put him in the Oz Monster at Porter County Fair. I did a show out there, and I put him in the Oz Monster. My guy, we took the Oz Monster. When you see it, it's got roll cage on the outside. My old guy, that Bob, he built it, and we put the roll cage on the outside to flip it over. We kind of moved the motor back, and we put wheelie bars on the back of it, and we, we went out there, and we wanted him to roll that truck over. And he didn't get to roll it over. He won the race. He won the uh, race out there. And then in freestyle, he had a van, went straight up in the air and come down and broke the tire rods. But we wanted to flip that truck over, you know, the Oz Monster. And it was it's... a brand new truck. That wow. truck ran one time and, and I sold it, you know. It's got a brand new motor, you know. That James that bought all these trucks, uh, he did a good job. He's gonna. He's got a lot of good trucks, and you know, I I got a game out, uh, old DD game, little ninety nine cent game. You know, you can buy on the on the app and all, and it shows all my trucks and stuff, and you can play with it and all. It's really a neat game. It's been going on for about 10, 12 years. Really? Can, how does somebody? How, how do people find that? Uh, I don't even know. I don't have it. My boy's got it. <laughs> OTP games, you know. I think you can get it on the internet, you know, and you can put it on your phone. It's a pretty neat game, you know. Oh, but I'm not, I'm not going to look for that. I got a couple games on my phone, you know. I yeah. get on a lot of airplanes. You got to play a game. Yeah, and that's a that's a pretty – you can get all the trucks. And I think Bigfoot's in there and a couple – but all my trucks is in there and all that. So it, it's been going on for 12 years, you know. I've been making royalties off it. So Jane's going to do all right. And then this year we did a deal with uh, a Monster Jam with uh, Boogie Van. You know, I don't know the whole story. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it. But Boogie Vans, I, they're going to do a toy truck. So they, get, they got something in mind to do something with that. So, you know, you, huh. you might see Boogie Van back one day. That, that, that's, you know, that, that just makes me smile because, of course, I was uh, remember, you know, times when I was not only announcing but, you know, booking – I booked for years the Louisville Speedway shows before we started actually making deals with Monster Jam in between the Tough Tracks days. Um, but I actually had a couple of years when I was the general manager at Altamont Raceway Park out in California and, and would book my own events out there. And uh, having Boogie Van out there, pe people people love seeing, you know, she was a trailblazer when Pam oh, would yeah. come out there. And, and you know, and that was the first time for a lot of people they had ever, ever seen a woman drive anything. But especially a, a big old monster truck, and you know it was interesting. One reason I, I want to ask you about your son and if he had any interest, though, I, I'm wondering. It, it's just just amazing to me, and I know we see it in other forms of motorsports. You know, Dale Senior and Dale Junior and the Petties, and but boy, in, in in the monster truck world, can you believe all of the second and third generations? Because there's thirds that are coming. I guarantee you. Dennis Anderson's grandkids are going to be in those trucks someday. Um, oh, it's amazing all the different, you know, whether Scott Stevens' son or, or or Tom's sons or, you know, just go on and on. Does that surprise you? Because those kids grew up around it, but it's, it's still interesting that they all want to follow in their mom or dad's footsteps and drive the truck on their own. And some of them are the best in the game right now. 
Well, my and Papa seen me work on them, you know, half the night, and he probably said he don't want to get involved working that hard. <laughs> so, younger generation don't like to work like, like we did. You know, we'd work till seven o'clock in the morning. You know, I'd I'd work till midnight and leave and go to California. You know, we we did a lot of traveling. You know, a lot of a lot of trucking. You know, did um, you mentioned that? Did, did you did you Paulie ever talk about that? That that's like, did did he? Do you feel like he missed you a lot because you were on the road a lot, or or did he kind of pick up the love of racing, you know, from you, and it's something you two share? Well, I can tell you stories about that too. You know, I bought I bought the first Bandolero little go kart like from Michael Harper, and I tore it all apart and painted it, and he sat in the truck playing video games, and I painted it and put it all together, and then uh, finally a year or two years later, I got him out to the racetrack on the asphalt, and he drove it. He drove about 20 laps, and he goes, Dad, we should have drove the other truck, because I could have played my video game. I go, you want to drive that car again? Not really. I said, get in the car. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all that work, you're going to drive it, you know, but it was funny, but he's, he's, a, he's, he's one of the best drivers in Wisconsin and all around, he's really a good driver. You know, if, if he had the heart like I had to, to race, he'd be he'd be top notch. You know, he don't he don't care about racing as much as I do. You know, that is interesting though. These back and forth tie-ins and, and your relationship with Michael Harper and, and and as you know, I think most people know, Michael still got a lot of NASCAR involvement and he's trained a lot of those guys. You know, and, oh, and yeah. he's 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 proud of Paulie. Oh, yeah. We took him down to uh, Charlotte down there. Michael had him down there for 30 days. He had about 15 kids down there, young kids down there running those Bandolero. Michael's babysitting all these guys. And we sent him down there for four weeks learning how to drive and stuff, you know. And uh, he won the championship in one of them. He won the championship in Legends. And then he won the champions. He was 15 years old, no driver license. And Eliana Speedway is a big half mile. They probably run 110, 120 mile an hour. He won the championship there. Then last year, uh, 2021, he won a race up in Wisconsin, with 250 laps, and and he won that race. And uh, uh, William Byron was there. It was two or three NASCAR there, and and he won that race. Wow. Yeah, that's that's something else. Hey, got one final break in, and then I wanted to. Uh, we got one more segment. Uh, we're gonna keep Paul a little bit longer, and and uh, having so much fun doing this. Did want to remind everybody again. Uh, really appreciate the support of the show. Already talked about subscriptions a little bit. That helps us. And if you haven't checked out the merchandise store, well, uh, I'll, I'll show you again my standard conversations with Scott Douglas coffee mug, or of course our serious elevation homes line from my TV days. Uh, again, we appreciate everybody just grabbing a, a different type of collectible, a piece of, a piece of merch from our store, and, and add it to your collection. And again, obviously, helps us out, and we appreciate everybody supporting Conversations with Scott Douglas. Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, just going to take a few more minutes of Paul Schaefer's gracious time. I like, guess so much fun. You know, we get talking during the break, and and I mentioned the name Elliot Miller because um, we just about some things we were talking about. And Elliot's always been, you know, for the people who for years were in my ear, one of my favorites, and I've probably done arguably more events with Elliot in my ear than anybody else. Um, I didn't realize that he got his start as a kid because begging you to let him do your website. Yeah, he did my website for probably 10 years or six, seven years, and he did a, a good job, and he was only 13, 14 years old. He did all my website. He, that kid was very intelligent. 
And then he went three years with Monster Jam, and now, you know, he's got his own promotion, Monster Truck yeah. Throwdown, which which does very well. Um, you know, you see a lot of events. I think he does it smart. I, you know, you would know better because you've actually had to put your money on the line as a promoter. But he doesn't try to go all over the world or national. He's got a series of events, and he's worked out great relationships with different facilities. He knows he can go in every year, and and he and he draws great crowds. And you know, there's something to be said for for understanding what you can do and if it's going to pay your bills and make you money and you're doing pretty well and uh you know that's that's okay it's, yeah. it's, it's fun being, it's fun being on uh, on a skype call with paul because so many people are calling into yeah, it. So, <laughs> i love you know, it i i i never seen none of his shows but you know he he does uh some of the shows i used to do and everybody says he does a good job on his shows he's he's a very good promoter you know yeah, I heard that. And it's interesting the way different people get in. And, and like you said, there he is doing websites. Uh, you know, we talked often about my good friend Andrew Palachko, who was just always there as a kid. And, and then he became, uh, you know, and he was doing a lot of these blog things at the time. But then he became everybody's photographer. And, you know, and now today he's like, you know, one of the top operations directors for the entire Monster Jam operation. And, uh, you know, my producer here tonight, Josh Lee, uh, who knows where he's going to go because he's willing to do anything and, and working his way up. And at a young age, he's a competition director on a Monster Jam tour right now. It's, I guess, where I'm getting to, Paul, and you've been a part of it. There are very few, um, and this has always been a unique industry, but when people fall in love with it, isn't it amazing to see, you know, these, these guys who work on the trucks, they'll work all night not worried about what they're making pay-wise. The passion people have for this, and, and like with Elliot, or with, like we're talking with Josh, hopefully, as his future goes forward, it pays off, but it pays off maybe somewhere they didn't see coming, you know? I used to have people calling me up because I want to go with you. I want to go to a monster truck show. I said, all right, come on, bring your bags. We're going to stay in a hotel, and, and, and we'll do the thing. It'd be a three-day show. So we do the show, they go, are we going to the bar? I go, no, we got to pull the heads off. We got to put head gaskets on it. We got to work. He goes, we're going to work. I go, yeah, we got to work. So we work to about three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, getting the truck back together. And we do another show. Well, you know, I got to tear the truck apart and do it again, you know? So <laughs> everybody that used to want to go with me, they didn't want to go with me. It's too much work. You know, they didn't want to work that hard, you know? There's a yeah. lot of them trucks, you know? No, it, it is, of course. And the thing that, that I think you have a perspective unlike any other, because of the number of trucks you had, the number of trucks you built, the number of trucks you bought, uh, so many people, I can't imagine the number of people who, who came up to you just like you talked about there. How do I get in? You know, I want to be a part of it. And, and Elliot at 13 sounds pretty cool. Didn't you say he called called secretary saying, let me build your website? Yeah. And, and you guys decided to do that. You, you must have a lot of stories like that of people who just wanted to come in the door and, and ended up getting careers. Hey, there was a young kid that called me and said he'd seen me race somewhere. And he called me up. He goes, you going to race Indianapolis? I go, yeah, well, I'm doing that show now. He goes, I want to come. I want to come and spend a weekend with you. My mom and dad's going on vacation. I'll spend a week with you. And I go, whatever, no big deal. So I go down there and do the show, and this kid's yelling at me up there, and his mom and dad's up there. And he goes, well, we got his suitcase in the car, you know? I go, you got to be kidding. This kid's nine years old. 
and I took them home. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> his, his name was Brian Manson, I think. You know him? Yeah, he kind of uh, has become a promoter himself. Is he? I, I, I haven't seen him in years. but I, I, I've run into the name. I don't know Brian well. Brian worked for a long time alongside, I think, putting a lot of the, the uh, uh, sponsor and other things together for uh, Two Extreme Racing for uh, – for Greensland, if I'm if I'm thinking of the right person here, and I know some of them correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that he's involved in in one of the uh, uh, promotional tours that's out there these days. And so, yeah, it is just amazing when you think about the number of people who have just come into the industry, just wanting to get in in any way that they could, and uh, you know, and then see what happens. So, I'm hoping we get Paul back here in a second. Yeah, I, I can't figure this out here. I gotta uh, see if there's something that looks like a camera down on the bottom there that you can. They may have a line through it. Anyway, since you can hear me, we'll we'll keep talking and you keep trying to figure the camera out. Um, but the main thing is we've been seeing you. People love hearing your stories, and we only got a few minutes. I, I don't want to take a few more minutes of your time anyway. But Paul, I'm wondering, you know, you have you have been through so many different parts of the industry. And, and there you go. And, you know, you really have done it like no one else has ever done it. You're a busy guy. you got a lot going on. And I hear all of your auto yards are very successful. You're doing all these cool things. You just made that big sale of, of all the monster truck names and equipment. So I'm not saying you're sitting on a rocking chair and just thinking. But do you ever kind of look back and say, you know, there's been a lot of fun years. Like, yeah, there was a lot of headaches, but there's a lot of fun in my days in monster trucks. You know, I, I met a lot of people that helped me, you know, like Tom Mintz. You know, he put us on the map. And we had uh, Brian Harwood, and we had Mike Dropic, we had Larry Swim, BJ, we had uh, Amber Skywalker. We had so many good drivers and so many people that helped me make this thing go, you know. And uh, there was a lot of them out of St. Louis. There was a lot of good people that helped me. You know, it, it just wasn't Monster Patrol. It was Barefoot and Carolina, Gary Porter, and and then, you know, all of them, Farrell, Tony Farrell. There was a lot of good people that made us run, and they and they, they loved it. You know, they was all good people. They worked hard. I speak to over in the chat room, and I think this is right. Uh, Wayne N75 is always on here. Thank you, Wayne. I always appreciate you watching the show. Um he thinks that Brian's actually running the toughest monster truck tour, and I think he's right. I think that's what I've seen. Yeah, so, and I know they're doing really well. Um, so that, that, that that's cool there. There is one more thing that, that popped up in here that before we let you go, I want to ask. I love asking questions from the viewers when we can. Um, so Arkansas Viking was wondering if you yourself ever had a bad crash you remember since all your guys used to be what he calls crash masters. <laughs> Yeah, I had one down in St. Louis down there, and we was racing, and everybody was down there. I was racing somebody, and and uh, we was all sitting at the table, all the monster guys, and they said, well, I don't think anybody could flat-foot it over those cars. And I said, well, I'm going to flat-foot it. I'll flat-foot it. I won't lift. And I didn't lift, and I went straight up in there, and I come down, and it was cement, and the, the, the pipes in the back, the bars, the tubing hit. And it bent it in half almost, and I got out of the truck. And I was shook up there, and it kind of hurt my back a couple times, you know, and this and that. But overall, I, I really didn't crash very hard, you know. Uh, 
most of the time, you know, the mud car was worse than the than the the monster truck. Everybody said, "Well, the monster truck." Well, when you crash the the monster truck and you roll it over, you go one, two, three, and you hit the wall. The mud car, you flip that over, and the guy said, "You all right?" I go, "Yeah." How many times did I flip? Well, twelve. Holy shit! You you don't you don't see it. You know you don't you don't feel it in the in the mud car. It's just so fast. The monster. Yeah really really slow you know well and, and you started in days you know before containment seats and hans devices and all that um did you ever uh worry about physically was it ever an, an issue that, that you were taking a beating at all or did you just oh. like doing it the way you were doing my first truck, the Monster Patrol, I took a beating every night. I'd be standing in line to run out there and wave to the crowd. And, and D2, uh, Dante or from uh, Bigfoot, he's sitting there stretching, and my bones is hurting so bad it's unreal. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, you know. When I got done racing, my, my guy that helped me would help, help me up in the driver's seat of the semi to drive home. That's how hard I hit all the time. I was up in... Uh, New York somewhere, and, and I did freestyle. And I coasted all the way to the wall and stopped. My guy come over and said, what did you break? What did you break? I said, I broke my back. My hands fell off the steering wheel, went straight down. I think I broke my back, you know? Oh, gosh. We we took a, you know, I couldn't believe, you know, D2, you know, he's sitting there jumping around. I said, man, I can't move. You know, I was hurting so bad. But then I got a better truck, you know? That, that old truck... I'd, I'd race against Lyle and Graybeard, and I'd win freestyle. That old truck had coilovers on it and springs, and I'd jump over the truck, over the cars. It would bounce 15 times, and everybody in the grandstand would be standing up cheering me on. It looked like it was going to flip over. Well, when we built the brand new one, me, Tom, and Bob, we built the brand new one. I went to Arkansas, and I did a show, and I backed up, jumped over the cars. Nobody stood up. I backed all the way up against the wall by the tunnel. And hit, nobody stood up. You The new trucks with the springs, I couldn't get it off the ground. It wouldn't get sideways, wouldn't do this. So we had to look at different way of doing things, you know. And it was crazy. You, you, to entertain for freestyle, them new trucks couldn't do it. That old truck with the springs, all you had to do is jump the cars. You was the star because it looked like it was going to flip over every time, you know. But you guys were paying a price in those days. And, you know, and I know the equipment has gotten you know, safer and, and more comfortable. But does it, does it does it amaze you, you know, like it does me, that all these years later that Tom's still doing what he does at the top level and probably got more championships in him? You know what I told him? I told him, I go, them trucks must ride good. He goes, Paul, they ride real good, but we're going twice as high now, and they hurt still, you know. It still hurts you, you know, because they're going twice as high, you know. Yeah, and, and, and that's the other thing, too, when you think about it. You know, a lot of people had very short careers in the early days because they couldn't take the beating. And that's why, you know, a, a guy like, uh, like like Gary Porter has, has always been a marvel of man, and even Dennis, um, you know, for all the years. Can you believe Dennis now has built a truck where he runs freestyles with two passengers behind him <laughs> and he sells it and he's good? And, and somehow they've got me... Uh, for a charity deal, agreeing to ride with Mr. Anderson. So uh, good luck. I hope I make it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Paul, that's that's a ride. That's a ride. Probably you wouldn't advise me to take. I'm guessing, but you oh. know. <laughs> hey, all right. Just to wrap it up, um, 
you, your story is so unique and it's had such a big part in so many different parts of this amazing industry. You know, what, what, what would you like, um, or, or are there anything that, that, that you hope that fans and, and especially not just even just fans, but people in the industry today, um, realize about what you did by not just following and conforming to the way everybody else did things. And, and, and you went out and like you said, and maybe this is it, you really got the number up for everybody because of the way you played the game in terms of the money they are. Well, I seen the dollar signs, you know, when I run the mud car and I kept going to them shows and running the mud car, I said, man, these guys making a lot of money, you know? And I said, I got to buy one of them, you know? And, and I gotta, I gotta thank Tom Martin. He's the one that drugged me into the mud car, and and I spent half my money doing the monster trucks. Then you know, but it, it was a good ride. You know, it was a good ride. And I guess now the final thing I guess is that enjoying life. Looks like you're busier than ever. All those auto yards and all the work you're doing, and your son racing. Sounds like things are going well for Paul Schaefer. Yeah, it's going well. I'm trying to get him to move up a little bit and get a little more. He says he's going to win a bunch of races this year. He won about seven or eight, but he won that big one. And he's in the hunt all the time, you know. And uh, his day's coming, you know. He's going to he's going to be a top-notch, one of those top-notch drivers in the super late models, you know. Awesome. I had Bush. I had a bunch of different people call us and want him to drive a car, but, you know, it's all about the money now. you got to have a lot of money to drive them cars. You know, they they pay for them rides now. Exactly. But, I don't think I don't. Some people don't understand that. I mean, talent's talent, but there's got to be money behind the talent for anybody to ever see it. Yeah, there's a lot of people got talent out there. You just got to have the money to do it. You know. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, Paul, I I can't thank you enough for for coming on the conversation tonight. Um, you know, it's it's absolute delight. Always enjoyed working with you over the years, but there's so much unique about your story and, and that, that, that makes it so interesting. And just watching the chat room blow up tonight, everybody's loved it. I hope you know that, that people, that the Monster Jam fans and Monster Truck fans all over uh, still consider you one of the great names ever in the industry. And, and I can't thank you enough for your time and wish you and Polly and your family, everything, nothing but the best. Okay, same to you, you know. Got to thank all the fans, you know. You know, they, they, they was good to me, you know. They were, and you were good to them. Paul Schaefer, yep. ladies and gentlemen, again, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Eastern, we're going to rerun an encore presentation of our program with, uh, boy, it's awful loud there, Josh. Thank you. Uh, well, that's, uh, <laughs> that was that, that was so loud. Boy, Josh hit me with the audio. This is live streaming. It was so loud. I thought I could speak through anything. I, I used to talk, you know, with over Paul Schaefer running his engine, but that just threw my total train of thought off. Eight o'clock tomorrow night, we'll encore presentation of our uh, conversation from about a year ago with Chad Fortune. Hope you'll enjoy that. Another new episode comes up next Tuesday. Thanks to my executive producer, Matt Isbell, and his uh, his company, Overdrive Reality. Check them out at overdrivereality.com. My director and producer tonight, Joshua Lee. And, of course, you can find him where on all your social media at 8-Bit Motorsports. And Monster Jam Chaos, that's our buddy Jordan Hicks, who, uh, again, got a night off tonight, but I'm sure we're going to have him back in action on Tuesday. But most of all, thanks to Paul Schaefer for telling all these great stories and to all of you for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow night with our encore presentation featuring Chad Fortune. Good night, everybody.
Hello, and welcome to the Scott Douglas Media Channel. We stream live here every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for the talk show Conversations with Scott Douglas, a long-form interview program featuring big-name guests from the world of Monster Jam, motorsports, live entertainment, and more. On each conversation, you will hear directly from the superstars and key behind-the-scenes players telling their unique stories and offering tips and insights into their specific industry. You can watch each show for free when the conversation streams live or watch a show anytime at your convenience by subscribing to the Scott Douglas Media Channel here on Twitch. It's easy to do. Just click on the About button on this page and scroll down to get your subscription started. Subscriptions are as low as $4.99 per month, and Amazon Prime members can use their complimentary subscription to any Twitch channel that they receive each month as one of their Amazon Prime benefits to use that to subscribe and enjoy all of the entertaining and informative conversations that we have right here, live, three times each week. And be sure to check out the website, scottdouglasmedia.com, for the lineup of scheduled guests that are coming up on Conversations, and for details on the production services that I can provide. Thanks for visiting the Scott Douglas Media Channel and tune in every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time when Conversations with Scott Douglas comes your way live.